Hello and welcome to the second episode of the Open Table Theology Podcast. I'm Jared Kendall. I'm a United Methodist pastor in Fishers, Indiana, and I'm so glad to have you at the table with us today. I'm also really thankful for the feedback I got from the first podcast. You all were tremendous in helping me improve, um, acknowledging some of the things that went well in other areas that I can do better in. And so thank you so much. It means a lot to me that um, you are interested in this and that you're supporting me and uh, that it, that the idea resonates with you. So I'm going to keep going with it. A couple of things that I, I learned, though. One is, and I, and I knew it when I read the, the, the stuff going into it, to have content ready and to have a couple loaded up before, um, but, but I think I'm going to switch to doing every other week instead of trying to put a podcast out every Monday. I think that was a little bit too ambitious. So instead, I'm going to give myself two weeks um, going forward. So thank you for that feedback and help. Um, I also, I love the comment uh, one of my friends said. Uh, he said, uh, Jared, it sounded great, but you were using your pastor voice. And you're right on. So I'm going, I was much more scripted the first time around. And going forward, I'm going to be a little bit less so and try to be more natural. Speaking of being less scripted, I am uh, have invited a guest into this week's episode. And it is none other than my very best friend in the world, uh, my wife, Kate Kendall. Uh, Kate and I have been together, this will be 10 years, our 10-year anniversary this Christmas. And Kate has been my partner, my uh, my best friend, my confidant, um, everything good <laughs> in my life. And there is no other person I want to interview first than her. Um, she brings so much to the table, both personally, but also professionally. And so in this week's episode, you'll get to hear a little bit about our relationship and our family, but also... Uh, a perspective that Kate brings as a teacher, as an educator, as a mother, as a wife, um, as someone who has had a tremendous impact in the world already. And so we are going to begin jumping in in our conversation, uh, hearing a little bit about our story. And so I'd like to invite you to listen this week as I welcome my wife, Kate Kendall, to Open Table. You know, the first time I ever saw you, I was in driver's ed class and your mom was a driver's ed instructor. And I mean, you've heard this story uh, over and over, but uh, coming around the corner, your mom went first and then I saw you and uh, sitting next to Alex Nisley on the countertop of the career center um, store that they had. And I remember saying, who's that to Alex? And he said, oh, that's Katie. She's really stuck up. As the story goes, <laughs> which of which, course you weren't. No, I was uh, painfully shy in high school. So if I didn't know you, then I pretty much didn't talk to you. Yeah, but I, I do remember though. I mean that that I don't know the love at first sight, but I certainly um, thought you were pretty hot, babe. Oh jeez, you can edit that. <laughs> yeah. but it uh, you know then we then we had class that year, and so I don't know. Um, ever since then, I. Got a date with you. We went to my senior prom, your junior prom together, and then 
both ended up at Indiana Wesleyan University, which is where we started dating and uh, got married after I graduated. And in between my, I guess, classes, and then I did student teaching in the spring after after we got married. So it felt like I gra- had graduated by by then, since I was teaching afterwards. Yeah, we got a little house in Marion, Indiana, right off campus, rented from the school. And, um, it's just fun thinking about our first house and how... Um, the countertops would shock us. Yeah, there's some electrical current running through that metal band on the outside of the countertop, and that bathroom was... I didn't realize shag, how gross it was at the shag time. Shag carpet in a bathroom. Shag carpet. <laughs> Never a good choice. Which is just disgusting now I look back at it, but at the time, I don't know, it didn't bother me nearly as much as it does now. Uh, but man, we got our, our, our Asher, our dog, uh, we got him a couple months after we were married and a lot of good memories. I wonder, you know, as you think, you look, look back at our 10 years, uh, what are some things that have stood out to you? Any particular memories or part of our relationship? I mean, certainly living in all the different places that, that we have. Um, like like you said, we started out in Marion. Um, you were working at Indiana Wesleyan as an admissions counselor, and I then um, had my first teaching job over in Swayze, Indiana. Um, gosh, one of the first big memories that sticks out uh, in my mind is when you called the school to tell me you were accepted uh, to Duke. I was in the middle of my first period and um, giving a test, actually, and the office called me and said that, that you were on the phone, and in my mind, that only meant that something bad had happened, hmm. and so I, I turned to my sixth graders and told them, don't cheat off of anybody. I have to go to the office, hmm. and went down to the, to the office to get the phone call, and you told me the news that you had gotten into Duke and not only that, but you had received a a nice sized scholarship that would allow us to go to Duke. And, um, then I told you, Hey, I got to go. I'm in the middle of a test. And so hustled back down to, uh, my very silent sixth graders. I'm sure they, uh, chatted while I was gone, but, uh, that was a, a big moment. Um, we packed up that spring then and, and headed down to Durham. We, gosh, lived on a truffle farm that first first summer mm-hmm. uh, before heading into the big city of Durham. Uh, we found a, a cute little apartment next to campus. Um, I interviewed for two job positions and received an offer to teach as a fourth and fifth grade Montessori teacher in an elementary school there. Um, And that took us a lot of places too. I mean, from you working in Detroit then for a summer and me going to Cincinnati for Montessori training, um, just lots of places before ending up here in Fishers. That's kind of amazing. How old are the are your kids from the first your first class now? Oh geez, my sixth graders are now juniors in college, which so is wild. Mm-hmm. And my first group of middle school students who I taught in in Durham are now freshmen in college. So it makes me feel really old to see updates on them. Yeah, it's pretty neat. Uh, I don't know. Are there kind of some things that? 
have stood out to you as you even reflect on our 10 years together and the experiences that you, you've you've had and that we've shared? I think in the, in the majority of our experiences and the people that we have gotten to interact with, I have found that most people, all of the people that we've, we've been in contact with, they have this desire to be acknowledged, um, to feel validated in, in whatever it is that they're, they're doing. Mm. Um, and I mean, just that common good, like we, you hear that, that humanity, that people are underneath everything no matter what it is that that people are good and um gosh with all of our experience i can't help but remember all the good people that we have met Hmm. all the people who have uh, been there to help us to make us feel welcome Um, certainly that's not the case with every single person we encountered but those are the people that i remember and those Hmm. are the people i i want to remember and when we go to a new spot that's my default for meeting new people is that there's this underlying goodness and that people want to be heard and valued so if you do those things with those people then Hmm. the good comes out that's interesting i think so obviously i'm I'm a pastor and uh, recently doing a sermon series describing kind of the meta narrative of scripture the 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 big story of the bible and i described it in five acts as a five act play or in five different parts the first being creation the second part being fall and when i talked about those two in particular talking about how for a lot of people their story or at least the christian story doesn't begin in genesis 1 and 2 but begins in genesis chapter 3 with the fall, with brokenness, with um, sin. And yet what I hear in what you're saying is the story doesn't begin there in our mistakes, in our in our faults, in our um, shortcomings, in our sins, however you want to describe it. But I hear you defaulting to a Genesis 1, Genesis 2 beginning that affirms that God created the world and it was good that humanity was created in God's image and likeness, and humanity was very good. It sounds to me like in your default, as you said, to giving the, the people the benefit of the doubt or to seeing the good in them, that that that's really rooted in in the beginning of the Bible, Genesis 1 and 2. Do, do you hear that, or am I just being Pastor Jared and, and reading into what you're saying? No, you hear that, and that might be, you know... Pastor Jared's wife, <laughs> after hearing your tradition innervation sermon and and working through it with you, um, you know, speaking from there as well. I just remember, especially my first year in Durham will always stand out as one of the most powerful years that I've I've had. Um, I had, like I said, twenty four students and um, really only a handful were performing at grade level. Um, many of them, English was their second language or they had come from such poverty that school was not a priority in, in their life. Um, so they, they'd been told that you know they can't or they'd been looked over. 
Um, so I had, you know, standardized testing is everywhere. Um, in North Carolina, there, there were uh, numbers assigned to whether or not students were performing at grade level or, or whatnot. So four was the highest that you could achieve on these tests, and many of my students were performing at one. Um, and I remember that year, my, my co-teacher, Sarah Gonzalez, and I, we worked with these kids and just, yes, we taught them the content that was there, but I think the biggest thing that we worked on and strived to allow them to to reach was a belief in themselves. So yes, we looked at the content, but we spent a lot of our time just building them up, letting them know that they can do it, that that they are smart, and that uh, you know whatever they had heard from the from the past, from adults or from society, that they weren't good enough wasn't true. Um, and really, just tapping into that inner like inner goodness from them. I mean, gosh, they were like. 10 year old kids, they, they just needed to hear and have a cheerleader on their side telling them that, that they were good enough and that they could do it. And within that year we had, I mean, the growth was, was unheard of. Um, we had students, you know, like I said, who were performing at a one who, who jumped up to that level four. And it wasn't because we taught them the content so well. It's because we we instilled within them this belief that they could do it, and we validated that all that hard work that they put into you know their their schooling and things. So yeah, it's fun hearing you share that story, and I've heard it a couple of times. But and this is something people who are listening on the podcast can't see. Uh, but I mean, you have a visceral reaction when you tell that story when you recall the ways you and Sarah um, uh, breathe new life into uh, these young people. I mean, your passion is overflowing um, out of you. And and really, I mean, you, you were changing the narrative for these young people who had been told that they weren't good enough or they weren't smart enough and statistically that they were going to drop out of school, uh, um, get pregnant, or join a gang. I mean, there was just a lot of... of uh, going against them and that you you guys changed changed their story by believing into them by speaking mm-hmm. goodness into them uh, that's a powerful and now thing. you know first generation uh, you know student to graduate high school is now attending an ivy league school yeah. because i mean and he was someone who thought that he couldn't do it and we changed his narrative we told him he could and now he's at a ivy league school well, we're going to talk about how um, to, how we can live into a new story, but we're going to take a break as we, and maybe you can hear this podcast listeners, um, Levi the Lion, our two-month-old son, is crying. So we're going to take a break and come back in a minute. All right, welcome back, podcast listeners. We've got Levi the Lion with us, and he's doing well. Um, but we're going to continue the conversation about uh, picking up where we left off about changing stories, not only the students, but um, how your stories changed along the way. Um, you you didn't start out as a Montessori teacher. Your intentions weren't to become a Montessori teacher, and it really happened uh, just by happenstance. 
you're applying for jobs and that's the one you got it happened to be a Montessori school uh, but it seems like that's been had a huge impact on, on, on your life teaching personal professional uh, and and your teaching philosophy I guess um, what about Montessori has has resonated with you so much I, th I think the biggest part of Montessori that I find um, life-changing if you will is is the focus on developing students as whole people instead of just focusing on on curriculum and you know the textbook knowledge that we need to uh, make sure students understand and learn it's also about making sure that they are learning more about who they actually are and how to um, use their their gifts and their talents to make the world a better place mm. uh, one of my favorite quotes that I have come away with from this Montessori education and, and learning um, about it in my training is that everybody does better when everybody does better. Um, mm. It's kind of become a personal family mantra, if you will. Um, and that's mm. so true. If, if you're working hard to make yourself better, then the other people do the same. It's just you, you want everybody to do the best that they can. I've absolutely loved seeing that play out, and I've used that line in my own language as I've heard it from you, even in sermons. Um, everybody does better when everybody does better. Talk more about that, like some of the examples. I don't know, I guess from, from the outside, I've seen you be able to speak life into students who might have been told or experienced, man, I'm, I, I'm not good at math, or I'm not good at reading, or I'm not good at this. So many times we're told what we're not good at, and that's what we emphasize. But I saw you tell some of your students, wow, you, you are really funny. Use that as a gift, <laughs> not as a distract, distracting the class. Or you're a tremendous artist. Or I love the way you think, DJ. You know, some of your mm -hmm. students, uh, that, that they were like, wow, I do have something to offer. Can you think of any specific stories of, or students' examples of how they, they a perceived flaw, like you helped? turn them around and, and, and see that they did have something to offer. Um, well, you mentioned DJ. Um, he was one of my students. I actually had him uh, two different years. I had him as a fourth grader and then again as a sixth grader. And um, this was a young man who was one of those students that when you saw him on your school roster at the beginning of the year, you kind of went, oh, I got that one. Mm. Um, not... I mean, that sounds awful, but you, you do have those students that are just a little bit more difficult. And I absolutely fell in love with DJ his fourth grade year. He was just this huge ball of personality. Um, he's, he was performing below grade level, but he really did have this inner desire to do well. He just didn't know how to tap into it. And so, um, you know, he was someone that everybody wanted to be around. He was a natural leader. And so using that as a positive point to, you know, allow him to see that, wow, people do like to be around me and I am funny and I can lead people and turning all this energy that sometimes at the beginning of the year he used to distract the class or, um, you know, he was, he just sometimes made the classroom a little bit more difficult to, to teach. He turned it around by the end of the year and he really was a leader and someone who thrived on being able to be a helper and see that um, other people were, were following him in a, in a positive way and how much more uh, 
people appreciate that. Like everybody, mm. you know, like it, it turned it around from the, all this negative energy to positive energy around him. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that's a timely thing. And I guess as I've been thinking about our conversation, even here on the podcast, one of the undergirding themes, not, and not even intentionally so, but it is diversity. Uh, thinking about all the places we've lived and been in the last 10 years, the people that we've met, the students you've engaged who have a diversity of gifts. There's a diversity of locations, a diversity of backgrounds, stories, people, places, beliefs. That, and again, I'm obviously a, a pastor and I'm, a, I'm coming from a Wesleyan Methodist background and this is open table theology. So uh, one of the, uh, the central stories of scripture is a celebration of diversity not to make us all one in that we're the same, but rather one that we're unified in Christ. And so I love the stories in Revelation that talk about every tribe, every tongue, every nation, this beautiful diversity of persons who are who have things to celebrate and have something to contribute. That's something that I hear in the ways you um, spoke that story into people's lives, whether it's consciously or unconsciously. I mean, it, it, you you saw what they had to offer. Everybody does better when everybody does better. And so you, you, you help them see that within themselves, such that one of your students, you know, first family, you know, first person to graduate and then go to college and not only any college, but an Ivy League school. Uh, it's incredible. Everybody has something to offer. Well, I appreciate... Um, the ways that you have been on the podcast with me and share some of our story and and your story, I guess, is there one thing that you would want to say to, as we kind of sum up our conversation? I think just to remember that to look for the good in everybody. I feel like that's kind of been a theme throughout our conversation on this podcast is to remember to look at people as people and to remember that there's positive qualities that everybody has and they need to be acknowledged and nurtured. Mm. Yeah, that's a great point. And that allows for... um us to be able to learn from everyone, I guess, and to uh, be work with people. To, to mm-hmm. it's a two way, it's a two way street when we when we approach it that way. Well, I appreciate it. Last thing before you go, uh, open table theology. Jesus ate good food and drank good drinks with a whole diversity of people. Is there something that you've eaten lately that's been particularly delicious? A restaurant that you're liking right now? Uh, what wh- what's some good food you've had lately? A particular restaurant here in Fishers, we've kind of stumbled across uh, beer and burritos, and it is delightful. All right, well, one last question. What is something that you've uh, drank lately that is is delicious? Well, you know, now that it's fall, my favorite drink to have during this season is a warm cup of apple cider. So that is is on the top of my list. Not just any cider. No, cider from Stuckey's. Stuckey's. So we need to make our way over there and get some Stucky Cider. Yes. We try not to plug any specific places. There's a lot of great orchards in the area, but our heart is with Stuckies. We love their cider. And they have that delicious, like, slushy mm-hmm. cider. And that's, that's very good. Stuckies. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> check it out. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being part of the podcast. I love you. I'm thankful to be your partner, and uh, I've learned a lot from you over the years and continue, and I'm excited for our 10-year anniversary this winter. Yes. Love you, too. I think it's 10. 10. 10, ten years is 10. No. That seems like an underwhelming it does. theme for I'll 10 years. I'll buff it and make it shiny. Or maybe we'll just go, go to, to Costa, Costa Rica. Rica. <laughs> All right. Hey, thanks, Kate and Levi, for being such a good boy. Uh, we will see you guys next time. Well, I hope you enjoyed this week's podcast and getting a chance to uh, meet my wife and hear a little bit about her story and our story together. You know, one of the things I appreciate most about Kate is that she does look for the good in people. What a poignant word for today, uh, for this season in the life of our country and world. Uh, there's a lot of dialogue going on right now about race and politics and religion. And, um, you know, maybe we need to give each other the benefit of the doubt to look for the good in people before we cast judgment or before uh, we get too riled up. Uh, maybe we need to look for the good. You know, Kate's right. Everybody does better when everybody does better. Maybe it's that simple. Well, this Sunday, as with every Sunday, we'll be meeting from 5 to 6 p.m. at the Well Coffee Shop. If you uh, would like, you're invited, and please feel free to invite a friend. I will pay for your coffee if you pay for theirs. So I would lo love to have you as we look to have a meaningful conversation in meaningful ways. It'll be a lot of fun, 5 to 6 p.m. at the Well Coffee Shop here in Fishers, Indiana. Uh, finally, thanks again for joining in. Welcome to Open Table. There's always room for one more. Until next time, grace and peace, my friends.